Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmitty, Swanee and Clarky visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right, how are we? Very well. How are you, Schmitty? Oh, I love that you lent into the microphone then. That was very sexy. Oh, um, well, you know, that's okay. You're allowed to be. <laughs> that's what oh, I was going for. <laughs> now I just sound like an old croaky. That's uh, right. We all do because I'm still recovering from my illness in answer to your question. Was very good. And the weather here has been quite mild, lovely autumn, mild, sunny-ish days. So I'm enjoying that. Well, I was you? going to compliment yeah. you on your little sweater. Yeah, well, I'm I actually really quite, It's nice. Quite, thank you, but I'm quite warm for once, you know, ah. so there you go. And I've uh, got a, if you remember, you slept on it actually. You know, we had the <laughs> temporary bed downstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in order to combat my echoey room, I've actually got the mattress up against the wall on the <laughs> other side. Love it. <laughs> and I've got a sleeping bag along one wall and a duvet along the other wall to put the soft furnishings in. And I think it's working because I didn't like that setup I had the other day with that shield thing. I didn't, it just I felt like it was cutting me off from you guys. Yeah. So um, I lashed out and bought some acoustic panels on Amazon today too. So well, there you go. go. Wow. Yeah, it yes. does seem to be working very well. Going to set my studio up. And what about you guys? Hmm, well, we've got the dreaded lurgy so that's mm. always fun mm. um so uh, apologies if we cough throughout but we'll try to mute ourselves yeah that's mm. that's that's it we're getting ready to go away for easter which is exciting taking Lovely. the caravan um yeah. where are you actually going with the caravan near cobra peninsula no no, <laughs> no just on the nice. banks of the murray yeah, that wrong nice oh nice yeah, have nice. you got plans for easter swanee no, zero. We'll just right. be home having a bit of a quiet one. We've, Coke zero. We've got some stuff. Yeah, Coke zero. It's a good one. I like that. Coke zero. Very quiet. Fair enough. All right. Well, who are we? I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky. And together we are Trial, Trial by, by wine. wine. So what are we drinking? Coke zero. Coke zero, right? Yeah. Nice. We've got the WA component. First one of the day. Well, given that oh. we're um, a little unwell, we're having a oh, McWigan zero. zero rosé mm. bought from the supermarket, none other. Mm. So, yes. It's a lovely colour. $12 a bottle. It is a lovely colour, although it What's looks it a little bit like? like pirate juice in the, I mean, not pirate juice, your mango chutneys uh, in the mango glass. Mango chutneys. Yeah, yeah, all, all the damson gin, I think mm. it's got more of the damson mm. gin look about it. It's not too bad. It's rather yeah. nice with a lozenger in your mouth. Isn't it? Yeah, that <laughs> really makes it a lozenger the chaser. Diflam. Yeah. <laughs> How about Diflam you, I am drinking one of my favourite kind of, as I like to call them, Frankensteins, which is made up of some Kirk's sugar-free Pasito because they've gone very retro oh, in some goodness. of their stuff, you know, so that's that passion fruit flavour drink. Passion, yeah. With yeah. a dash of Smirnoff. Oh, oh um, nice. Yeah, because I don't have any mango chutneys. Oh, mm. the cupboard's bare. Sound the alarm. I've got a lot of sparkling still left over from the wedding, but I'm not really in the right mood for that. That surprises no. me, frankly, if there's anything left over. <laughs> oh, there was. There was about a, a dozen sparklings left and about half yeah. a dozen reds. But I've got to oh. say, given that I was accused of over-catering big time, we smashed that alcohol. So well mm. done, everyone. Oh, right. <laughs> Snaps. Snaps. Snaps for us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Don't underestimate no, no. your crew. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
All right. So who's got a story for us today? I do. Yeah. I have a story. <gasps> well done. And it's it's a story about finding a story in as much as anything. So I mentioned this to you guys the other day when we were talking about, or well, I think Clarky was talking about how he came upon his last story. And this has been a note that's been sitting in my phone probably for the last, I don't know, maybe four months or so. So at one point on my Facebook feed, there were some crimes that were coming through. And one of them was entitled something, which I'll tell you in a moment. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And I've just put it as a note in my phone, didn't have time to look at it at that moment. Mm. And subsequent to that, on a couple of occasions, I've dared to have a little bit of a look. And each time I've looked at it, I've had to actually close it because I can't Mm -hmm. really deal with it. Mm. Anyway, so the other day when I spoke to you guys, I said, right, I'm going to go and delve into it and pull the bandaid off. Yeah, yeah, and do it. Well, I did, but that (laughs) resulted in a very sleepless night. I didn't have a nightmare. I could not stop thinking about it. And it was, I don't know if it was a full moon here last night, but it was very close to it. It was so bright at 3am when I was awake. It was like there was a light on outside. So it wasn't scary in that respect. I was just so unnerved and I could not stop thinking about how hideous these crimes were. And I was umming and ahhing, should I go find other crime? What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? You know, is it right to even bring it to the table? Because I just find it so utterly repulsive that a human being has done this that I sort of wondered if I should do it or not. Anyway, so then I went back this morning and had another look. And by chance, when I was looking at the title of the killer, you know, they give them often, you know, a name, there was one that said not to be confused with, which is exactly how you came across your crime the other day, Clark. Yeah, yeah. And in doing that, I ended up in another crime uh, or set of crimes that were so eerily similar that I thought, oh, right. I think the story here is about not so much me having to delve into the detail of the crime because I just, I don't think that's right. I don't think I could do it. But talking about how these two sets of crimes come from a very similar sort of foundation. Okay. And and that's where I think the story lies because there's definitely a story to be told. What I don't want to do is... <laughs> turned listeners off. And also I think this one would probably definitely need to come with a bit of a trigger warning. There's some pretty horrendous things that are done to people that, you know, okay. I, you know, it's not for not for everyone. But what I'll do is I'll talk more about very top line. I'll try not to go into any real detail because when I started to do that, it was too disgusting. But there were things that I had access to that I just couldn't believe what I was looking at or reading, like that people are prepared to record a lot of this stuff. That's what I find absolutely astounding. It makes me feel a little better that we're not actually doing the same case because um, I had almost the same experience last night. So I really, yes, before you, well, before we started recording, I was saying how I talked about thinking about having a story ready. So we could do two today. Yeah. And I'm still in the middle of it. So I I really am not. But I saw things last night that I can't unsee. And Tony's away in Brisbane. And so, and it was the first night I've spent in this house alone. Oh, darn. And I gave myself such a, the willies, the heebie-jeebies, even though like it wasn't a ghosty or anything like that. No, no. It was post-mortem photographs that I looked at. And I went, you know, like it was, mm. so as much as you lot always joke about me being a psycho and whatever, I know Mm. I'm not because my reaction to this was not oh that's interesting it was oh my god get rid of that Turn, yeah, yeah. yeah oh I can't yeah. wish I hadn't seen that I think that. that's where my head was at is this is this something that needs to be rehashed mm. revisited so hopefully I can do it with I'll say sort of a lightness of touch and between these two sets of crimes you'll start to see this similar there's so many similarities just it blew my mind actually they have such similar titles so my sources well that's that is also part of the story when I started looking at sources there were a whole series of sort of these sort of like documentary style things so there's some professional ones that I absolutely have not looked at but if you want to I'm sure you could go and do that but that is not for me Mm. and then I was looking at other ones and what I found was it was so 
creepy because what they had done was they'd been using stock shot images and then they were doing a narrative to explain what was happening. And that was like a trailer for something. It was, it was even worse. And I was like, I can't do that either. So it was called Night Docs. And that was... <laughs> That was special as well. So, <laughs> you know, that was that was terrifying in its own way, but how, how they sort of drew upon your imagination mm. by using images and what was that, what had actually really happened. So I think the narrative was spot on, but because they didn't have some of the actual, you know, images and stuff to, to show, they'd done illustrations mm. and they'd done mm. this and the other. So it was... I know what you mean. They sort of... It's crazy. I was like, what am I doing? weird what am I... visuals in that are rem- yes. remotely attached yes. to yes. what they're saying. Yeah. And, and then, then it, it starts to... It your brain, take, I think. Yeah. It does. And also yes. then I sort of thought, then it's getting away from the facts. It's becoming mm. something else. And I was like, right, so that part that. So what I've done is I've kept it very simple to compare the two. And so I've obviously I've used Wikipedia and I'll be using that because I think chronologically it really helps me set them out as this sort of like... Look at look at these similarities. Murderpedia. <laughs> yeah, that's where um, I found the terrible things I found. Yeah. Yeah. All that's interesting.com. And as I said, if these are crimes that you want to go and have a look at, and I, I'm sure they're incredibly interesting. They're just a little bit too much for my palate. Mm. I could see that there were a series of documentaries and books and uh, there's a lot out there on there. I I think that certainly the first crime I think I've heard of, and I suspect there's a lot out there if you if you want to go and delve deeper, but let's just see if we can have a little bit of a chat about it today and see how these killers came to be and where that where that common territory is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how to start off. So I'm going to give you an idea of how I sort of came across the two crimes. So the first killer or first criminal is called the toy box Oh, my killer. God, no. All right, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, no, I do know this one. I was looking at it myself, but that's not what I was uh, researching. I was looking at it myself it's the really other day. It's really tricky. Awful. Yeah, yep, yeah. yep, yep. So I'm hoping that I don't have to delve too deeply uh, because I think, you know, our imaginations can do a lot of the work for us. How uh, many toy boxes were killed in the so making sick. of this story? <laughs> do you know this uh, one, Clarkie? Have you come across it? No. Oh, no. it is sick. The toy box killer, mm. as he is known, is a man by the name of David Parker Ray. David Parker Ray. Yeah. David, David Parker, Parker Ray. Ray. Yeah. Ray Parker Jr. And <laughs> David Parker Ray was born in 1939 in New Mexico. What shall I say? Okay. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about his background and uh, his early childhood. And then we're going to switch to the other crime that was a crime that I happened upon because the other killer has a very similar name to the toy box killer. And they're known as the tool box killers. Oh, Can you believe no, that? I don't know that one. Right. Jeepers. So we've gone from the toy box killer to the Toolbox tool box killer. killer. What could killer. get confusing? Killers. To start with, David Parker Ray. Shoe box killer. Mm. <laughs> I'm just trying to think, what are other killer? boxes that you would have? You know, yeah. like, hat, box. Was, hat, hat box. Hat box killer. killer. Oh, I like yeah. that one. Might be being wet. This would hat box. Yeah. Oh, sorry, God. Swanee. I'm trying to lighten it before oh, we get because, right. yep. Swanee, can you use a different voice when you switch between the two? Just Ooh, so that it's uh, easy to follow. I could struggle with that. I might <laughs> okay. struggle. I'll do my best. Okay. Well, I'll try to keep up then without it. Oh, gosh. As I said, he was born in um, New Mexico in 1939. And he had a younger sister, Peggy, and they lived with their grandfather, who was a disciplinarian. The reason they lived with their grandfather was because, well, essentially his parents didn't want he or his sister. His alcoholic father would occasionally visit and, of course, rough him up and abuse him when he did visit him, which was, you know, only occasionally. And 
I don't know why, but he also supplied him with sadomasochistic pornography when he was a teenager because I think that's what all good dads do, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, mm, yeah in between gosh. bashings when you visit. Mm. Yeah. A slipping bit of that as well. So his childhood was anything but nice. He was also bullied at school because he didn't particularly have an easy way with girls and I think his home life and the abuse that he was getting from his very strict grandfather, although I have I have read in some places that what was strict then is now considered abuse, but I do think from what I understand this it was, was a abuse. little bit more than strict. Yeah, yeah. And he was certainly being abused by his father, but again, not always because he's he, basically the parents had sort of moved them on to their to the grandfather. But when he was a teenager, he started developing sexual fantasies around raping, torturing, and even murdering women. And uh, it was at this time that his sister actually happened upon some drawings that he had done, which were obviously of Bondi Jacks and, you know, basically murdering girls. After completing high school, he received an honourable discharge from the United States Army where he'd worked as a mechanic, which is important. He had been married four times and he had two children. So he was quite busy. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think that after, you know, serving in the army and just going to work, he he had a, a life that was, well, I say a family life, but I mean, I think the versions of there's a there's a what's the word I'm after oh, this man was not set up in a nice house with a picket fence no. and the and a dog in the garden and the kids running and playing and the wife making you know apple pie in the kitchen I don't think that was the family scenario we're looking at here. no hmm. no but I also think that when it came to who he was in the society where he lived and I haven't actually gone into that where he lived was a place called Elephant Butte hmm. in New Mexico <laughs> wow and I did see some footage. There's like this very, like, you know, a mesa and a butte in the American desert sort of scenario. So a butte is the flat one. Oh, yeah. And then the, no, that's wrong. The mesa is the flat th- one, isn't the, it? The mesa is the flat one, isn't it? Yeah. And I think the buttes are top of So imagine all of those kind of, you know, it's it really is desert sort of territory. And he lived near a lake, which was called Elephant Butte Lake. And because of all the minerals, it was totally, I think, opaque. You couldn't actually see anything in it. And it, I also read that it was like full of like catfish that apparently are huge and will just eat you devour anything that comes their way. So if anything was to go into the lake, nom, nom, no nom. one would know it was in there. And if it's not finished off by the, the catfish, you wouldn't be able to see the zero visibility. So it's that kind of really Ugh. murky, a, a, a quite a beautiful looking colour, but not clear at all. And I guess it's from all the mineral from the, the desert sand, I guess, that's in the water. One thing that I thought was quite, well, there's very few things that are funny in this, but Elephant Butte is near a town and the name of the town is actually Truth and Consequences, New Mexico. Yep. You can't call a town that. It was originally called Hot Springs and the reason it's now known as Truth and Consequences was because in 1950 there was a game show called Truth and Consequences and there must have been some prize, but they were like, name a town is prepared to change its name. And I thought, well, Hot Springs didn't have a lot to... A lot to have recommend to lose, it, really. Yeah. Exactly. Imagine how many hot springs. There's probably as many hot springs as there are. Truth oh, and the consequences. Name? No, what's the one that we always have? The home, the Simpsons one. What's it called? Springfield. 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 How many Springfields have we come across? Yeah. Mm. So, truth and consequences is, I think, the bigger town that everybody knows. And Elephant Butte, where David Parker Ray lived, was a very small community. They called it a, a retirement community, mm-hmm. but it wasn't in that sort of wasn't a gated community it was just lots no, of old not people at all. went and lived there it was it was it was sort of like the middle of nowhere and there were mainly trailers that people lived in it wasn't an affluent area at all mm. uh it was kind of just a dot nothing happened there they did say everybody knew everybody you'd go to the local bar it was 
an existence. Like I a suspect country's probably a, absolutely. Mm. As I said, he's he's a mechanic, and then you know he's been married a couple of times, got two kids. He has a relationship with his daughter called Jessie, and at one point, Jessie goes to the police in I think about eighty nine, and she says that her dad has tortured a woman that she knew. And the police get him in and he says, absolutely, that's what I did because it was consensual. I'm hugely into bondage. That's my thing, actually. I've got a business. I create different things, whatever else. So what started off as a potentially a situation that could have shut this whole thing down, the daughter put herself out there and the whole thing did a backflip and she was back living with the dad and he didn't push her away. She actually went towards him instead. Oh, yeah, and she had a relationship with him, all right. Part of the whole thing. And, you know, it was intimated that they did have a sexual relation and she did have a child later and they were like, oh, well, you know, it was her dad's. But there's, I don't have any proof of any of that. But it's a case of there was that moment in time where someone went and said something yeah, and he was able to go, yeah, no problem. What's the problem? Wasn't Actually, illegal. you know, I've been I've been hugely into this. Mm. Absolutely, the magazines. Did you know that I make these? You know, can I ask, whatever else? Do you know yeah. if his statement of it being consensual was corroborated by the woman? No, I don't know the answer to that. Mm. Actually, okay. I'm guessing probably not. not. No, she's probably. Why would we ask her? Yeah, she's oh, yeah. yeah. Swimming with can't argue with that. Yeah, but I also think for your daughter to do that, she must have seen a few things that it had really bothered her up until that point to go. Actually, that's not right because mm. most people wouldn't. Would they? You wouldn't go and like what's it called? Shop your dad unless you, mm. they'd done something really it terrible. To be pretty horrendous, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know that that whole thing seems kind of. I was surprised that that had happened, but anyway. So I'm now going to jump ahead to. Is her name? March. Sorry, is her name Jessie Ray? Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, that Jessie's like a, a name. That's not her real name. They call oh, her. Okay. I've forgotten her real name. I can find that somewhere. We're going to jump ahead to 1999. So. Oh, I'll go, really? He's yeah. 60 now. And in 1999, Cynthia Vigil was abducted from an Albuquerque a parking lot by David Parker Ray and his girlfriend, Cindy Hendy. Cindy Hendy. She was, ta- she was taken to Elephant Butte <laughs> where she was confined to a trailer mm. and tortured. Ugh. After three days of captivity, she escaped from the trailer on March 22, 1999. Now, why this is so important and it's so matter-of-fact and I, there is no big build-up, whatever else is, because I think she's probably the only person to escape in this manner. And what she had escaped was the toy box. And the toy box was a trailer that David Parker Ray had customised to the expense of about $100,000 he'd spent on making this sort of like a, a totally independent unit. Yeah, so it, it looks like a refrigerated ima- unit, doesn't re- it? Yeah, like it a does. Big, it does. You know, a big commercial refrigerator truck. Refrigerator truck. Yeah. He'd put air conditioning units in it. He had uh, its own generator electrical source within, within inside it. And I reckon he had some soundproof panels in there too. Oh yes, that's very important. The soundproofing, mm. the soundproofing. I think. It, I think. It, imagine the scale. It's like a semi-trailer. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's the sort of scale of it. And he'd use soundproofing to create what he called his toy box. And what he did was he then equipped it with items for sexual torture. And that this is where it starts to become really uncomfortable to talk about. It. It was. It's it like something out, like a surgery. Yeah, it's like yeah. something out of a nightmare and of one of those it's horror some, films. Correct. It, it, if I can explain it to you, it's where on one side 
there were sort of photographs of like the bondage equipment hang down. So I guess in a, in one respect, you'd kind of expect that within a sadomasochistic environment. On the other, it was like a surgery where it had pull-out drawers with syringes, medication, knives, scalpels, basically equipment for surgery. And I guess for him, pride of place in the middle, which is was a gynecological chair, yeah. I think you'd call it, yeah. obstetrics. I don't know yeah. what you'd be best at. And that was where he would confine and torch the women mm. that he had abducted. So by the time we get to Cynthia, this has been going on for quite some time and Cynthia was just able to escape. So what happens is she she waits till David Parker Ray has gone to work and she's able to unlock the chains that have been binding her up because Hendy, the girlfriend, had accidentally left the keys on a table nearby. Mm-hmm. Hendy notices that Vigil's making an attempt to escape and they have a fight. And during the struggle, Hendy broke a lamp on the captive's head, but Vigil, what's her Cynthia, unlocks a change and she stabs Hendy in the neck with an ice pick. Take that, bitch. Because, you know, you just have one of those around. Of course you'd have an ice pick around if you were If you're torturing, torturing someone, someone who's shackled to a bed, that's right. Correct. Yeah. So Cynthia was able to flee. Just she's got an imagine this. She's got an iron collar around her throat and she's got padlock chains around her. And she's um, completely ankles, nude, isn't she? And completely naked. Yeah. Yep. And battered and, you know, bruised and bloodied and whatever else from whatever had happened to her before. And that's only after three days. She runs down a road and she's able to get hot, um, help from a nearby home owner who, you know, takes her in and he calls the police and the the police come and she's able to lead them directly to the trailer. So, of course, they are able to capture Ray and Cindy Hendy, his girlfriend at the time, immediately. So they're detained by the police. So that is kind of the starting point. There were no bodies. There was no one reporting them, with the exception of the daughter, you know, I think it was 10 years before or something. No one, he wasn't on anybody's radar. No. no one was going in and saying, this is what's happening. And you've got to wonder why that was. And what his sort of modus operandi was, he, he was taking, they were saying, between five and six girls a year. And when he would take them to this lair, he would detain them for a number of months. And he and whether it was his girlfriend, I think also the daughter was involved at different times, they would torture these women and do the most incredibly despicable, I don't even know you'd call it experiments, I don't know what you'd call what they did to them, um, over a period of time. And then what he would do is he would drug them in a way, and I don't even know how you'd do this, but he was able to use a, you know, a series of drugs, medications, whatever else, to erase their memory and then some of them he would actually release. Yeah. yeah. And so when Cynthia is found, then they obviously make a plea and, you know, they start to try and, you know, put together some information as to who have been, who's been in this toy box And another victim came forward. Her name was Angelica Montano, and she had a very similar story to Cynthia Vigil. She said that she'd been held captive by Ray after Handy invited her to her house to pick up a cake mix. Mm. Can you imagine? It's not like you're in a bar drunk and you're being dragged. I mean, it really is. Yeah, come on over. After being raped and tortured, Montano convinced the pair to release her along the highway. You're not going to believe this. She was picked up by an off-duty law enforcement officer, and she told him what had happened. But he didn't believe her. Mm-hmm. Oh, so he left her off, left, dropped her off at a bus stop. She also called the police and no one followed it up. But where things get quite interesting is what they were able to do is, because as this happens time and time again, it, not that it's, he had to film it all. Yeah, not that it's super relevant, but yeah. I think some of the women that he took were sex workers. Yes. And it's wrong, but I think part of the reason that some of them weren't listened to 
was to do with their professional. Because remember, this is a very small town, so everyone that old absolutely. Chestnut. But this yeah. comes up. This, this comes up every couple of weeks for us, right? Yeah, it does. You it's know. like that does. It, it's so common, and it's interesting. Uh, you know, when you look at all this stuff, there's an aftermath of one of the things, and one of the might even be Angelica Montana. I'm not sure. One of the people who was a victim, she has set up like a, it's a charity to help people who are already at risk yeah. to try and minimize further risk and it's you know it's prostitutes people who are homeless people who are living sort of on the edge of society it's trying to give them the tools to keep themselves it's safer it does I, it does beg the question about legalized prostitution legalized yeah. prostitution in as much as if you're working out of a brothel you are yeah. probably safer than if you are yeah. on the street yeah yeah but then you have someone who's going to pick up a cake mix. So these people were very, well, that's right. you know, yeah. open to, you know, yeah. finding people, however, it wasn't just, as you say, prostitutes or people in a bar who, you know, had been taken advantage of. I, oh, God, I never mind. I was, I was going to not include it and don't include it if you don't want to. But um, also like to include their dogs to rape the women as well. I uh, just. What? Oh, I know. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was, yeah. It was and a, everything. Everything oh, it, that your I know. a twisted yeah. mind could imagine is what they Correct. did to these people. And it's one of those things where what I found interesting about, you know, how people perceived him in the community, people quite liked him. And one of the things he was known for was how, how caring he was towards animals. <laughs> yeah, he used to take the animals home and, you know, get them all Let them have healthy. sex. And, yeah, and then, you know, help them abuse women with them. As I was sort of mentioning, one of the things that, again, has come up with a number of crimes that we've looked at is these criminals, these psychopaths, they like to have a recording. So what David Parker Ray was doing, no expense spared in the toy box. He had like a full camera set up on the tripod looking directly down onto the gynecological chair. What's it called with the stirrups and whatever else? Yeah, right, yeah. There's a list of things. That were in the toy box? That yeah. were in there. And one of, oh, here, I think here it is because I've never speculums. heard of something like this. I remember no, speculum. Leg spreader bars. Leg spreader bars, yeah. Lots of those. Ray sexually yeah. presumably killed his victims using whips, chains, pulleys, straps, clamps, leg spreader bars, mm-hmm. never heard of those, surgical blades, electric shock machines, and sores. Uh, yeah, mm. don't even. Yeah. Uh, inside the torture room, along with numerous sex toys, torch implement syringes were detailed diagrams showing ways of inflicting pain. There were a home. There was the homemade electrical generator, and that was also used to torture them. So oh. you know, no stone unturned. And when I was sort of talking about things that I saw that I couldn't unsee, one of them, which will sound kind of pedestrian in a way because it was a typed note, obviously typed on a typewriter back in the day, it was a list of things to do when you had somebody new come into the toy box. And like at an, one like point an I think, assistant or a new victim? It would, so if, so a new victim, I if, if his girlfriend was helping right. set things up, this is the way you would do things. Yeah, right. And one of the things was also... An audio recording, which was his voice, which it tells people what's going to happen to them. It He lays out what they're oh. going to do, how bad it's going to be, and at the end how you'll be drugged. And he tells, they, he uses the, you know, scientific name of the drug to tell them what will happen and how the, they'll be drugged and they'll, you know, they won't have any memory of what's happened to them. Which brings me on to Kelly Garrett. So when... You know, Cynthia's been found. The other girls come forward and said, hey, no one listened to me when I told you. My my circumstances are very similar. This other girl has since left Elephant Butte and she's now living in Colorado. And the reason was she 
she hadn't long been married, was having some issues with her husband, had gone out with her friend, the sister of, oh, sorry, the daughter of Jesse, Jesse uh, Ray. Jesse Ray, yeah. yeah. And they'd gone out and had a couple of drinks. And sure yeah. enough, they took Kelly Garrett back to the, okay, okay, the toy box. Yeah. She tested, oh, so, and then so the way they found her was there was very little image that they could find anybody except this one girl, this Kelly Garrett, and it was part of a tattoo that she had and it was it was quite unique. It was part of a tattoo that they were able to marry it up and that's how they found her. I don't quite know the whole logistics of how you do that. But she didn't know what had happened to her. Yeah. What she knew was that she had been returned by David Parker Ray to her ex-husband and he took her back to the, sorry, to her husband at the time who she was having issues with and said, I found her wandering around the beach. The beach was along the side of the lake, obviously. No, she was all disorientated. She doesn't seem to know where she was, what she was doing. So it was suggesting that she'd been doing drugs and that she'd been doing the wrong thing. I've helped her. Here she is. I'm giving her back to you. The husband was so disgusted in her and you know, couldn't believe that she couldn't remember where she'd been for three days because they're all worried about her, that he filed for divorce and it was, that was the end of the marriage. Jesus. God. I was so incensed by that. When you talk, yeah. and I was also incensed by the police not paying attention to these reports. No. Oh, she would have, she must have had physical marks and stuff on her as well. Yeah, and, of and course. And he filed, uh, what I read was he filed for divorce because he thought she'd had an affair. Yeah. She'd just been raped and tortured for three days. Mm-hmm. But she couldn't remember any of it because of, was it phenobarbital or something that he was using on them? Anyway. I don't, uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't know how to say One of them's called sodium. Tell me, is this the same as what you use? Sodium pentothal? Pentothal, yeah. Pentothal? Sodium pentothal, pentothal, yeah. Okay. And uh, phenobarbital. Phenobarbital, yeah. So what did I say? How do you know how to say them? Like they just roll off your tongue. What are they? Well, when you use them enough and you record <laughs> yourself saying it to people that you're going to torture. I'm going to administer 15 mils of <laughs> phenobarbital. phenobarbital. Yeah. Oh, I'm not gosh. sure. I think they might be sedatives. I'm not, or I don't know if they're mind-altering, but, yeah, anyway. I probably know it oh, because God. I read it recently. I told you I looked at this one myself. I mean, imagine getting a knock on the door and the police going, did you ever live in Elephant Butte? New Mexico? Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever know a man called David Parker Ray? Uh, yeah, I did actually. I knew his daughter. All right. Uh, come with us. And imagine finding out what had happened to you because she said, of course, she'd suffered depression. She had nightmares. She had unexplained bleeding and, you know, lots of things that have happened oh, to her God. as a consequence oh. of being tortured. But she didn't know because she couldn't remember it. Yeah. Those drugs are very effective. They sent a... a the FBI apparently sent 100 agents out to examine the property surrounding the toy box and they were not able to identify a single human remain and there's nothing there. So wow. whilst they say he's a serial killer, they say he's a suspected serial killer. And so I'm going to park <laughs> the toy box killer for now. So that gives you an idea of his background and how he basically created this den that was part sort of science lab, part torture chamber, just the most evil things you could possibly think of and what he would do to people. And he would still manage to, you know, have girlfriends and have other people. I don't think he would take everybody there, but he was kind of, he kind of had this other life. Classic serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. Quite popular kind of thing. He kept uh, trophies too. He kept jewellery and items, personal items. There's there's a bit of the Wolf Creekness about this one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So... When I was looking at the Toy Box Killer, I noticed that like along the top of, you know, the search, whatever else, not to be confused with, (laughs) 
the toolbox killers. Mm-hmm. Oh, what do we got here? Yeah, God. <laughs> Let me introduce you to the toolbox killers, not to be confused with the toy box killer. Before we go on, I just want to know, did they have a tool system? Like were they Ryobi fans? Were they Makita fans? <laughs> I'm a bit of a tool pro fan. Anyway, sorry. I think you are. Them. You're like, you're just the modern day version of them. You've got more access to power tools. I think they'd be old school. Yeah, they didn't have 18 volt cordless. They're excellent. <laughs> no, yeah, they anyway. didn't. <laughs> they didn't. But I'm pretty sure if they had been able to do it for much longer, they probably I don't wouldn't. have a saw though. Tony's got a chainsaw. Little baby, which I've shown as a prop on this show before, but uh, you know, I don't have one, they don't do it in the tool pro range, unfortunately. Anyway, oh, I Shitty, there are so many interests of yours that overlay to weave Gardening. your wicked web <laughs> and have oh access God. to all these things that the rest of us sit there and go, Oh, right, right. I wonder what she'd use that for. And then I go, oh, I know what she'd use that for. See, this is the the thing we just said before. How do people, you know, how do people not notice these things? How do these people live normal lives, seemingly normal lives, and they're carrying (laughs) on like that? They're sitting with you. (laughs) She's sitting amongst us. I ran into a friend yesterday who happens to listen to our podcast, and she told me that she nearly bought a pig. And I said, she wants to get one. I said, well, before you do, can you just make sure it's good to get rid of human remains? Because I think Shmi would be very grateful if she had somewhere <laughs> that she could uh, dump her bodies. So well, she's, she's going to check fish. that out for you. Apparently catfish <laughs> do the, a very good job. Mm. The toolbox killers, again, born very same time as David Parker Ray. So we've got two gentlemen. One is called Lawrence Bittaker and Lawrence was born in 1940. David Parker was born in 1939. So they're very much of the same era. Mm -hmm. And this sort of comes back to me thinking, I guess, fresh off Clarkie's last trial by wine. Things were different in different, God, I can't believe I'm going to say that. Things were different in different times. Oh, really? Oh, my God. (laughs) We all had toolboxes back then. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's. I think what you're really trying to say uh, is how far, how much things have changed. Yeah, in the last seventy years. So Absolutely. even when we were young, you know, um, smacking kids and that wasn't yeah wasn't a problem. It was expected. Now you know, forty years later, you don't do it. So there's just a huge amount of social changes taking yeah. place, yeah. and uh, we're so much more aware of what goes on. And you know, there'll still be horrendous crimes, as we know. There are still these things that are going on. There are. Mm-hmm. But I would hope. And I'm only hopeful. I mean, there's a whole other set of crimes, I guess, that come with modernity. But you would hope that some of these other things are more difficult, at least, for people to perpetrate. So the, the toolbox killers are Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris. Lawrence uh, was born in 1940, as I said, very close to the same age as David Parker Ray. Roy Norris was a bit younger. He was born in 1948. And let me give you a little bit of a background on these um Japs. So Could you? guess, did they have poor? Yeah, let me guess. I mean, surprise, surprise, <laughs> surprise, surprise. It's alcoholic, I'm, alcoholic father, alcoholic parents. Uh, yeah, yeah. No one wants them. Lawrence was born mm. in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, as the unwanted child of a couple who had chosen to not have children. So he was placed. Because they didn't do a very good job of that. No, he was put in an orphanage, and he was adopted by Mr. and Mrs. George Bittaker as an infant. So far, this is the same as my story. So hopefully, uh, I don't. And you'll know. make out that I'm the side. I know. Yeah, that's right. True. They do hide amongst us, Swanee. They moved around frequently. He got himself into a little bit of trouble, um, and he sort of said later on it was just because it was compensating for a lack of love that he received from his parents. 
He was bored at school, found it pretty tedious, dropped out of school. And by this stage, his adoptive parents and all his family had moved to California. But within a year of dropping out of school, he'd been arrested for car theft, a hit and run, and evading arrest. So he was a bit of a rat bag, it's fair to say. Rebel without a cause. For these offences, he was imprisoned at the California Youth Authority, where he had to remain until he was 18 years old. <laughs> Upon release, uh, his adoptive parents had disowned him and had moved to another state. <laughs> See ya. Jeez. He would never see him again. how old was he when that happened? 18. 18, right. Oh, oh he, was, he was released when he was 18. So yeah. I don't, I mean, everybody has a slightly different experience. Oh, is it, sorry, his adoptive parents. Adoptive, like, that would be like oh, my sorry, parents yeah. who adopted me when I he was, you know, very, out of <laughs> sorry. A, when he was very young. his parents? I thought they no, already chucked yeah, him. So his birth oh, no, parents right. got rid of him immediately. And no his adoptive one parents him. went, yeah, no, I think we're done here. See you later. So Bittaker's parents left. Roy Norris was born in Colorado, 1948. Um, he was conceived out of wedlock. His parents had married to avoid the social stigma surrounding illegitimate birth. Yeah, no big deal. That's pretty common. Uh, his father worked in a scrapyard and his mother was a drug-addicted housewife. He occasionally lived with his parents throughout his childhood and adolescence, but he repeatedly was placed in care, in foster care families throughout the state of Colorado. He often said that he was neglected, that he was denied food and clothing by the foster families that took him in. And he also made comment that he had been sexually abused when in the care of a Hispanic family, which is why he later had prejudice towards Hispanic people. And he said that it originated from their neglect and abuse that he endured with them, uh, with that particular family. He was talking inappropriately to family members who were female, a little bit older, but I mean, oh God, I'm pretty sure that's not exactly a crime and it happens quite a lot. But when he got back from that family member's that visit with an older, I think she was in her early 20s and said some, you know, really graphic sexual things. Rude shit. Yeah, his dad threatened him with a beating. So he went out into the mountains and he attempted to commit suicide by injecting pure air into an artery in his arm. That'll mm-hmm. do it. Yep. But how do yep. you do that? Like with it causes just a, with heart an empty syringe. With a just yeah. empty, empty syringe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it didn't work. Did he miss the artery? He tried to run away. Might have, yeah. You know, he was apprehended and he returned to live with his parents again. And then Norris's parents informed him that he and his younger sister were unwanted children and that they intended divorce when they both reached adolescence and they just didn't want them anymore. So that was the end of that. <laughs> just mm, Happy family. I know. God. A year later, he dropped out of school, joined the Navy. Sailed the seven seas. Yeah, and he got an honourable discharge. Had a great old time. one tour of duty. I would imagine in some respects it was probably pretty standard, right? So many people had really ordinary Shitty upbringing. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. there's just that very fine balance of what whether it tips over one way. And, you know, for every story that you seem to hear about people who had a horrendous upbringing that's totally brought them down, there seems to be other people where they just rally against that and then create something. Maybe it's not, I'm sure it's not 50-50, but... Do you know, it's just there's always seems to be this moment in someone's adolescence where they just go off the ra- tra- off the trail. And there was no off, off the, the trails rails, and yeah. the rails and the rails. Yeah. <laughs> there was no evidence that they were doing animal torture or anything. No, like that nothing, that nothing like we've seen before. Yeah. No, Do you know, it's it's funny about more, the animal torture yeah. thing because it is very funny that animal torture thing. No, no, no. I just meant that <laughs> hilarious. Um, hilarious. Yes, it is prevalent in some cases, but it was one of those things that became kind of that early FBI profiler yeah. idea of if they've done that, then they're really likely to do this. But it's actually a lot less common. 
mm-hmm. than you would imagine in serial killers. Yeah. Right? I was just mm-hmm. more so about bad, you know, antisocial behaviour. Did the parents disown them because they pushed them too far, you know, did horrific things, whatever it might be, but it doesn't sound like that. No, I don't think it was. I think they were just... It was just a bad youth and they yeah, didn't want them anyway. I would say that up until parents. that point, still rat bags. Mm-hmm. And just a total indifference on behalf of their parents who just either didn't want to be there or didn't weren't interested. And I think the one, I think it was Bittaker who was in foster care, that sounds a bit more... What was the name of the guy you did the other day who stole the youth of the kids from the college and he told them all oh, that yeah. they were victims of bad parenting? That's right. He had the wrong audience. These mm. guys were victims <laughs> of bad parenting. Yeah. Totally. Now we're at sort of this junction where they're young adults and this is when they sort of start to get themselves into a little bit more trouble. But Bittaker, it, it, it's not that he's actually going after women per se. He's getting himself into, he's more sort of violent. Um, so he, where, you know, there's a series of sort of petty crimes and in and out of, you know, detention or whatever else. But, you know, burglary. But the last one, he, he assaults someone. So he was arrested for assault with attempt to commit murder after he stabbed a young supermarket employee who had accused him of stealing. So mm. you see a real escalation here where, you know, all the other stuff was just, you know, I, I could list it all. but yeah, Shits and giggles. Yeah, yeah, for him certainly. But this is when it really takes quite a turn. The supermarket employee had observed Bittaker stealing a steak and had followed Bittaker outside into the store's parking lot where he asked Bittaker whether he had forgotten to pay. Forgotten to pay, mate? Bittaker responded by stabbing his pursuer in the chest, narrowly, miss, narrowly missing his heart. Jesus. He attempted to flee but luckily he was quickly restrained by some other employees. The guy, the, the employee survived, but Bittaker was convicted of the lesser charge of assault with a deadly weapon. And he was sent to California's men's colony in San Luis Obispo. So that's how he arrives at California's men colon, men's colony, which is important. So that was Bittaker. Norris, he was a little bit more after the sexy time and he liked... Let's call it what it is, the rapey time. The rapey yeah, time, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. He has a series of arrests and most of them revolve around, oh, God, like attacking women. He was his first, in November 1969, he was arrested for his first known sexual offence, charged with both rape and assault with attempt to commit rape. In other incidents, he was, you know, forcing his way into a car with a lone woman. In May 1970, on bail for another offence, he attacked a female student who he had been stalking on the grounds of the San Diego State University campus. He repeatedly struck her on the back of the head with a rock until she slumped to her knees before he repeatedly beat her head against the sidewalk as he knelt upon her lower back. Oh, Jesus. Did she survive or did she dead? I think she survived. Shortly thereafter, Norris was charged with assault with a deadly weapon. He was committed to five years in prison. Sidewalk? Yeah. Or or the rock? Where he was classified as a mentally disordered sex offender. That's in 1970. He's released from the state hospital, five years probation. And then just three months after his release, Norris approached a 27-year-old woman walking home from a restaurant in Redondo Beach and offered her a ride in his motorcycle. When she declined, he parked his motorcycle, grabbed the woman's scarf, twisting it around her neck before informing her he intended to rape her and dragging her into nearby bushes. Fearing for her life, the woman did not resist the rape. Oh, God. Although the rape was reported to police, I was initially unable to find the perpetrator. However, a month later, she recognises his motorcycle, whatever else. Anyway, he's arrested for rape. He's tried convicted and he's sent off to Deidre Chambers what a coincidence California men's colony men's in colony, San Luis yes. oh. and who did he meet there what do you think what do you, what do you know while incarcerated at the California men's colony Norris met and befriended 
Bitika. They had some things in common. Were they roomies? Didn't they? Didn't they? Water finds its own level. Water finds its That is the saying for the day. <laughs> At first, I don't think that they were friends per se, but the pair gradually became more closely acquainted and began becoming a bit Swapping more friendly. Swapping stories. Yep. <laughs> According to Norris, Bitika had actually saved him from being attacked by fellow inmates on at least two occasions. And by 1978, the pair had become close acquaintances. Forgive me, I need to read this. Discovering they shared an interest in sexual violence and misogyny, with Norris also divulging to Bitika and the biggest stimulation for him was seeing frightened young women. Adding this was the primary reason he had amassed a lengthy record for sexual offences. Bitika, who is not known to have committed any sexual offences prior to meeting Norris, himself divulged to Norris that if he ever raped a woman, he would kill her so as not to leave a witness to the crime. So can you imagine what these pair were just chitty-chatting about whilst they're locked up in prison? It sounds like so much fun. Do you remember when Ed Kemper was working at some, well, he was actually an inmate of a psychiatric hospital after he killed his grandparents that's what the inmates told him if you're going to rape a woman you must kill her so that there's no No, witness to the crime yeah that's so clearly that's a common conversation in these places yeah i don't i don't doubt that so i was thinking a sort of where we're about to head to is where they start planning and they have this sort of fantasy like you know quite often you hear men talk about fantasy football not these pair they come up (laughs) with their fantasy sort of rape scenarios what they're going to do to women when they get out so when they're alone the pair regularly discuss plans to assault and murder teenage girls after they were released the shared fantasy involved into an elaborate plan to murder one girl of each teenage year group from 13 through to 19 each yeah so the idea was that once they were out of jail because they would have different release times that they would become reacquainted and then they would put their fantasy right plan into action into action and sure enough so Bitica was released from the California men's colony in 1978, October 15th. He returned to Los Angeles where he found work as a skilled machinist and, again, quite popular, uh, made friends, although, you know, been in prison, it didn't seem to put other people off. He had a reputation for being quite generous. He earned quite a nice amount of money. As a machinist, he was helpful. He donated to the Salva- Salvation Army. And what he was particularly good at was bring people around him. And how did he do that? With alcohol and marijuana. Young mm-hmm. people, you know, you, 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 what's the saying, you know, like you put it on offer, they'll, they'll turn up. And then that's. If you build it, build, build it, and they will come. come, build it and yeah. they will come. So he was sort of setting up this life. So that's late 1978. So three months after Bitica, Norris was released from prison and he moved into his mum's home in Redondo Beach, which is just uh, still, you know, in California. Within one month of his release, he had raped a woman whom he then simply abandoned in the desert. Was she alive? I think so. Right. Yeah. I just go, he soon found employment as an electrician. I mean, you know, you've got stuff to do. You work, you rape, you got work, you rape. got to earn some money. You know? yeah. What is the expression? You work to, to live, live you don't live to work. work. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, these guys don't know how to do that. But <laughs> shortly thereafter, he received a letter from Bitica. Oh, can you imagine what it said? So in late February, they haven't been This is not Shawshank Redemption is, uh, where no. they meet on a beach <laughs> no, and no. have a nice this, conversation this at the not, end. They haven't oh. gone to Mexico, no. In late oh. February, the pair met at a hotel and they rekindled their kidnap and rape plan. In order for the pair to abduct teenage girls, Bitica decided they would need a van as opposed to a car. With financial assistance from Norris, Bitica purchased a silver grey GMC Vandura in February 1979. Listen to this. The vehicle was windowless on one side 
and it had a large passenger side sliding door. It is literally mm-hmm. like kidnapping 101, right? You'll need to yeah, get a yeah. van. Yeah, yeah. We need to get one of those rapist vans. <laughs> According I wonder to if Vita, that's also the marketing brochure for the Yeah, van. yeah. <laughs> Excellent for sliding door. Yeah. He realised he or Norris could pull up to a teenage girl real close and not have to open the doors all the way. The pair would nickname this their Murder Mac. I think call it a Mac. Why is it a Mac? Murder Mac. Maybe it's a Mac truck version. No, no, they call it a Mac, but a Murder Mac. That's what they call the thing. Murder Mac and cheese. So from February to June 1979, Bittigat and Norris picked up over 20 female hitchhikers. The pair did not assault these girls in any manner. That's Yeah, that's like Ed Kemper. He did the same thing. He picked up, he reckons, hundreds of women and he yeah. never assaulted them. Correct. But he fantasised about it while yeah. he was picking them up. Yeah. These guys were just working out how they were going to make it work. The pair oh. did not assault these girls in any manner. These practice runs were merely a way for them to develop bruises to lure girls into the van voluntarily and of discovering secluded locations. They were getting their hook. Mm. Correct. By April, they'd found an isolated fire road in the San Gabriel Mountains where Bittigert broke open a locked gate with a crowbar and it replaced the lock with one of his own. Now, as I did with the toy box killer, I'm going to jump ahead to the point yeah. where okay. so we don't have to go. <laughs> it is one, two, skip, well, four. So, yeah. Suffice, to, suffice <laughs> to say, I'll say then, so Lucinda Lynn Schaefer, Andrea Joy Hall, Jackie Doris Gilliam and Jacqueline Lee Lamp are all victims of the toolbox killer until we get to Shirley Lynette Ledford. And I'll just, because what happens to um, her is indicative of what happened to the rest. You just, no one needs to hear it all. And with respect to the other um, women, I just. Victims. Yeah, Mm. awful. Bittaker and Norris abducted their final victim, 16-year-old Shirley Lynette Ledford, on October 31, 1979. So remember, they'd only got out of prison, Bittaker, a year ago. And what's his name? Norris hadn't even been out for a year. They were they really got onto their plan quite quickly once they were reacquainted. They're and they doers. Their, they are doers. They did their reconnaissance missions and then they're on the job. They were both ex-military too, weren't they? Yeah. But, you know, when we say military, it's more like I don't know if it's military when we're thinking of SAS and they're, like, good at anything. No, no, they're no, no. Just done but they did it too. It's, it's, more the, it's more training. It's yeah. more, yeah, you know, right. process. It's, yeah. you know, it's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walking yeah, around with an M60 like Andy Albury did. No, no, it wasn't so much that. <laughs> <laughs> Donkey shooter. Yeah. <laughs> so Shirley Ledford was abducted. As she stood outside a gas station, hitchhiking home from a Halloween party. Ooh. Don't hitchhike. In a suburb of Los Angeles. Oh, my God. This whole thing. And it's like when we did uh, Clarkie's last one. That is one of those things of that time, right? Mm. And hitchhiking. Ed Kemper, Ed Kemper hitchhiking. picked up women because they wanted a lift. Yep. Everybody needed a lift. And you, there was no one was tracking your phone. You weren't sending the lists. You're calling someone. You were on your own, right? Ro- Rose and Fred West, how do you think they picked up their oh, victims? God. Apart from their own children, they it was all hitchhikers, yeah. Investigators believe Ledford accepted a ride from Bittaker and Norris because she recognised Bittaker mm. as he is known to have frequented the restaurant in which she held a part-time job. So it's that thing again where we've talked about people being the fabric of mm. society and mm. they've got all this other stuff going on in the dark. Upon accepting the offer of a lift home and entering the van, Ledford was offered marijuana by Norris, which she refused. Bittaker drove the van to a secluded street where Norris drew a knife, then bound and gagged Ledford with construction tape. I don't suppose I've actually gone on to tell you why they're called the toolbox killers, have I? 
Think yeah. you're about to find out. Figure in that I think you're about to, got a toolbox. Yeah. Correct. I think you're about to find out. Yeah. Bittaker then traded places with Norris, who drove in an aimless manner for an excess of an hour as, as Bittaker remained with Ledford in the back of the van. After removing the construction tape from the girl's mouth and legs, Bittaker tormented Ledford, initially slapping and mocking her, then beating her with his fist as he repeatedly shouted for her to say something. Then, as Ledford began screaming, Shouting for her to scream louder, as Ledford continued screaming, Bittaker began asking her as he struck her, what's the matter, don't you like to scream? As Ledford began to cry, she pleaded with Bittaker, repeatedly saying, no, don't touch me. In response, Bittaker again ordered her to scream as loud as she wished, then began alternately striking her with a hammer, beating her breast with his fists and torturing her with pliers, both between and throughout instances when he raped and sodomised her. Repeatedly, Ledford can be heard pleading for the abuse to cease and making statements. Oh, no, no. What do you mean heard? They recorded it? Correct. Oh, what is it with these dickheads? Yeah, yeah. I think it's so they can relive it, but anyway, yeah. As sounds of Bittaker alternately... Extracting either the sledgehammer or the pliers <gasps> from the toolbox can be heard on a tape recorder oh, he had switched oh. on after entering the rear of the van. Norris later described hearing screams, constant screams emanating from the rear of the van he drove as he drove. Shortly after Norris switched places with Bittaker, he himself switched on the tape recorder. I like that. That's, you know, they don't miss that in the mm. whole, oh, hang on, must record this, you know, that Bittaker had used to record much of the time he had in the rear of the van with Ledford. Norris first shouted for Ledford to go ahead and scream or I'll make you scream. In response, Ledford pleaded, I'll scream if you stop hitting me, then emitted several high-pitched screams as Norris encouraged her to continue until he ordered her to stop. Norris then reached for the sledgehammer as Ledford, seeing him do this, screamed, oh no. Norris then struck Ledford once upon the left elbow. In response, she informed Norris he had broken her elbow before pleading, don't hit me again. In response, Norris raised the sledgehammer as she repeatedly screamed no. He struck her 25 consecutive times upon the same elbow with the sledgehammer before her asking her, what are you snivelling about, as she continuously screamed and wept. After approximately two hours of captivity, Norris killed Ledford by strangling her with a wire coat hanger, which he tightened with pliers. Ledford did not react much to the act of strangulation, although she died with her eyes open. Uh, I don't know how they know. Bittaker then opted to discard her body on a random lawn in order to view the reaction her. from the press. I'm uh, guessing they found her with her eyes open. The pair That's drove to a randomly selected house in Sunday where Norris has discard, discarded Ledford's body in a bed of ivy upon the front lawn. Her oh body was found God. by a jogger the following morning. An autopsy revealed that in addition to having been sexually violated, she had died of strangulation after receiving extensive blunt force trauma to the face, head, breast and left, left elbow. Mm. Her genitalia and rectum had been torn, caused in part by Bittaker having inserted pliers inside her body. Mm. In addition, her left hand bore a puncture wound and a finger on her right hand had been slashed. Bittaker would later claim that the tape recording the pair had created of Ledford's clear abuse and torture offered nothing other than the evidence of a threesome. Oh, <laughs> what? Oh, well, they sick and right, stupid. Adding that, toward the very end, Ledford was screaming for him and Norris to kill her. That I don't doubt. No, no, that no, I don't no, doubt. No, no. That. Just finish me. Ugh. 
In November 1979, so that was, what, October, yep, Norris became reacquainted with a friend, Joseph Jackson, an individual with whom he'd previously been incarcerated with. Norris confided in Jackson regarding his and Bittaker's exploits over the previous five months, including graphic details of the murder of Shirley Ledford, the one I was just telling you about, the only victim whose body had been found at that time. Norris also divulged to Jackson that in addition to the five murders he and Bittaker had committed, there had been three additional incidents in which he and Bittaker had abducted or attempted to abduct young women who had either escaped their attackers or in one instance they'd actually raped but released. I mean, you know. Just practice run. Upon hearing Norris's confessions, Jackson consulted his attorney who advised him to inform authorities. He agreed and he and his attorney informed the Los Angeles Police Department who in turn relayed the two men to the Hermosa Beach Police. A Hermosa Beach detective named Paul Bunham was assigned to investigate Jackson's claims as to Norris's confessions of the murder. And of tech, and of Sorry, tech. can you just remind me, was Jackson a previous no, he was California just a colony guy? Yeah, he was actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. I didn't know if that's where he'd spent time in, but yes, he had, it does say that. The detective, Binham, initially noted that Jackson's statements as to Norris's confessions didn't match reports on file of several teenage girls who had been reported missing over the five months. In addition, the incidents Norris had confided to Jackson where he claimed he and Biddick had sprayed mace on the face of a woman who had then been dragged into Biddick's GMC van and raped by both men matched a report filed in relation to an incident that occurred on September 30. In this file report, a young woman named Robin Robeck had had mace sprayed in her face before being dragged into a van and raped by two Caucasian men. Although Robeck had reported the abduction and rape to police, they had been unable to identify this assailant. So Mm-hmm. Fall into place. Mm-hmm. He dispatched Investigator to visit Roebuck at her residence in Oregon to show her a series of mugshots. Without hesitation, she positively identified two photos presented to her of those men who had kidnapped and raped her on September 30. The two individuals were, of course, Bittaker and Norris. Upon linking Bittaker and Norris to the rape of Robin Roebuck, the Hermosa Beach police placed them under surveillance. Within days, Norris had been seen dealing marijuana and he was arrested for breaking like parole violation. The same day at the Burbank Motel where he resided, Bittaker was arrested for the rape of Robin Robeck. Although Robeck had identified the mugshot, she didn't get them positively. She didn't positively identify them in a police lineup. Line yeah. yeah. Nevertheless, police had observed Norris stealing marijuana, so they still had reason to Charges hold them. Charges to hold them. Correct, yeah. yeah. A search of Bittaker's apartment, and this comes back to what you were sort of talking about before, Schmitty, revealed several Polaroid photographs there which we were determined as depicting Hall and Gillum, those who were the other uh, girls, both of whom had been reported as missing earlier the same year. Inside Bittaker's van, investigators discovered a sledgehammer, a plastic bag filled with lead weights, a book detailing how to locate police radio frequencies, a jar of Vaseline, two necklaces later confirmed as belonging to two of the victims, and a tape recording of a young woman in obvious distress, screaming and repeatedly pleading for mercy while being tortured and sexually abused. Inside Norris's apartment, police discovered a bracelet he had taken from Ledford's body as a souvenir. Also found at the homes of both Bittaker and Norris were Polaroid pictures of almost 500 teenage girls and young women, most of which had apparently been taken at Redondo Beach, Hermosa Beach, and others had been taken at Burbank High School. Most of these had been taken, of course, without the girls' knowledge or consent. So this is just like spotting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's fair to say that you, you can see these the similarities of the way these men have sort of started off with these, you know, fantasies pretty rough childhoods oh yeah yeah sorry and then it just it just escalates into something so macabre so quickly and it's all about being violent towards women Mm. it's not really being I mean yeah I know one of them attacked a a store 
guy, but it's all about really torture. It's about torturing women. That's all that they're interested in doing, whether it's raping them, you know, using pliers on them, you know, whatever. It's very Freudian. I know. It's It's all about the relationship with the mother and a child and if the son feels rejected by the mother, then they go on to hate women. It's just not not all, not all, obviously, but you know. Yeah. So, with respect to Bitaker and Norris, they were found guilty of first degree murder, five counts, kidnapping, and rape. In what state? In California. Mm-hmm. And what happened was Lawrence Bitaker, who basically Norris testified against, he was put he he got the death penalty, whereas Norris, who testified against Bittaker, he got first degree murder four counts and a second degree murder one count kidnapping rape robbery and he got life imprisonment with the possibility of parole after 30 years really however yeah both of them have died Good. so Bittaker died awaiting execution in 2019 at the age of 79 mm. and Norris also died in prison and he just died didn't he let me read that in 2000 2020 age 72 so died of natural causes not they both did no well that the thing is it just very interesting they didn't tell you what that one of them died of uh, Bittaker I think no not Bittaker it doesn't say what either of them died of I wonder if many of them died Mm. of COVID or something doesn't say Mm. and I thought that's Mm. weird I would have thought they would have said something about how they died but they didn't. Interestingly, oh, it's not really interesting, it's very macabre really. You know, coming back to what what are these people like after they've been imprisoned for all of these years? What's their attitude towards the crimes that they've committed? Bittaker granted several death row interviews following his 80, 1981 conviction. He never expressed any remorse for his crimes, repeatedly stating the only remorse he felt had been for the fact that he and Norris were arrested, thus ruining his own life. He corresponded with numerous individuals responding to letters he received with the nickname Pliers. Oh. What a flog. He just sounds like he, whilst he was incarcerated, he filed for more than 40 frivolous lawsuits. So in the end, there was a name for it where he's called a vexish, vex, vex, vexatious, vexatious, vexatious litigant. Yes. Litigant. Litigant. How did you know yeah. that? I never heard of it. Well, there you go. Although Norris, re- so that was video, although Norris readily admitted that he enjoyed the acts of rape with the victims, he claimed only Bitteker enjoyed the acts of torture and murder stating, I didn't enjoy killing. That was that was Lawrence. It was his favourite part, watching the women struggle to live, knowing he'd soon be taking their life. I believe that. Both investigators and psychologists have stated Norris derived equally extreme gratification from the domination, abuse and torture inflicted upon the victims as Bittaker. These oh, he wanted them parties, to be frightened. He wanted to hurt oh, them. Oh, yeah. Have also harked. Oh, sorry. The way you sorry you described his early mo, he was yeah. much more of a rapist than a murderer. Oh yes, um, he was an mean absolute it, sexual predator, right? Yeah, After, yeah. yeah. But it, it doesn't mean it doesn't escalate. But if he hadn't met that bloke, he may have gone on to just do lots more raping, which is no less traumatic for people to no. survive. Oh, but I take the point. Survive. Yeah, it, yeah the, the pair of them together were this sort of like toxic thing that they Horrendous, enabled yeah. each other to do the very worst things. Yeah. So just my final note on the toolbox killers was the audio that I sort of read out to you sort of longhand. That is that audio cassette that Bittaker and Norris created of themselves raping and torturing Ledford remains in the possession of the FBI Academy. 
Mm. This recording is used to train and desensitise. That's important. Mm-hmm. FBI That's agents to the raw reality of torture and murder. That's how bad it is. Yeah. That is the toolbox killers and the sort of the aftermath of David Parker Ray, the toy box killer. He was, there were never any bodies found. No. So he is a suspected serial killer. No. And so he had to go on trial for obviously the abduction, torture, rape, whatever else he did. Oh, yeah. Cynthia, I forgot their other names, Angel- Angelica and Kelly. Yeah. Yep. yep. Mm. Any idea how many people they suspect he's killed? 60 or? plus, they think. It was a lot, yeah. They reckon, and it was, it was over a long because, period of time as well. Because, as I said earlier, he took mementos, yeah. and there's a lot of mementos, yeah. So they, so where is the toy, sorry, the toolbox killers, that was in a period of six months that they murdered five women, and the other stuff, you know, sits peripheral to that. But with David Parker Ray, it was over decades, mm-hmm. and you know, where there were people that took him, they were saying, oh, we think he put a body here. They never found anything. No, that's right, because they, I think they exhumed most of the land because he had it, he had, like he had the big trail at the back and he had the house at the front. Yeah. You know, a bit of land as well. And they dug a lot of it up. And there were, as as I said earlier, there were other people involved with it who said, oh, I think he's dumped them there. But you're right, maybe the, I didn't read it. I didn't know about the catfish thing. So maybe Mm. you're right. Maybe that was his favourite dumping ground. I don't think there was any proof. That was just, they would, you know, when they just sort of try and paint a picture of the area that, mm-hmm. you know, within which they lived. It was a really desolate area. You know, you go and there's ravines everywhere in the desert and then they've got, you know, this lake that seems rather ominous to say the least. Mm-hmm. So just put them in acid or something. You know, who knows what he did. Oh, but, well, that's interesting but, that you should bring that up because the toy, the toolbox killers, I read somewhere that they'd found acid at one of their apartments and they had planned to use that on their next victim oh, so you know these there's so many points of commonality where it's oh. like how can we hurt someone what what more damage can we you know torture can we inflict we just want to yeah we want to get eek every absolutely scream every horror oh god well that's dark yeah so mm-hmm. david parker ray was Freak. zero murders zero murders confirmed three plus survivors obviously of the abduction rape torture and then 60 plus suspected murders and what he got for that his crime spree they think went from 1957 to 1999 and he was given a criminal penalty of 224 years of imprisonment and and he was 60 60 61 at the time uh, let's have a look he was 61 uh, when he, he died, died at 62 yeah he was 61 62. He, and that's the thing that <laughs> it's just he Just only served fair. three years. That's right. Because he died eight months after he was sentenced to that two, yep. 224. What a prick. Mm. I found this quote interesting. Mary Ellen O'Toole, Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI agent in Virginia and the FBI's foremost expert in the field of investigating criminal sexual sadism, testified that Clarice. examination of Ray's home the trailer he had converted into his infamous toy box and the sexual paraphernalia and drawings found there suggest that Ray is a criminal sexual sadist. She said Ray's toy box and custom equipment were extremely impressive in terms of sexual sadism, their potential lethality and the time, money and effort it took to keep them a secret. Mm. O'Toole said there is no known therapy for Ray's paraphilia, which is psychosexual disorder, and that its corresponding behaviour can be stopped only by apprehension. Mm-hmm. And death. Okay. 
true fact. apprehension so you can't do it because as we've discussed before you put someone in an all male prison and they no longer have the objects mm. of their desire around them so of course they become model prisoners and then they get let out again <sighs> so well done because they were both very dark yeah and very very dark a lot of you you know like you didn't you didn't delve into the stuff that would have been, you know, the titillating, horrible, macabre shit, but you painted an excellent picture of three. I think your imagination if does not a five good enough complete job, sickos. Because right? Cindy Hendy, as far as I'm concerned, oh, yeah. oh, she went to town too. She was an evil, evil person. Yeah, so Schmidty's sort of talking about around David Parker Ray there were a, a sort of a a cast of others who at times <laughs> please you know, don't play, say that I work in theater I don't like the, <laughs> the idea different of roles and of... you know and some of the, some of them obviously were tried and did time as well but I have just tried to focus on him well he was the master big of it. stories was like the... it was like it was hard to try and stay out of the detail if I went into talking about some of these other people like he wasn't doing it all on his own and although mainly now, he was definitely the ringleader, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, people would come in and out of his life that would play, you know, that role, whether it be, you know, assisting him or observing what he was doing at different times or helping lure people. His daughter, Jessie Jess yeah. Ray. That's she more to the point. Right off. You know, it's when other women do that to other women and, you know, oh, God. And it's, it's not even I'm doing, it's like, I mentioned earlier Rose West, it's not even like I'm doing it because if I don't do it, I think he'll do it to me. They're yeah. just as sick. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah, just, yeah. They're, they're in it. They're I enjoying agree. it. yeah. Oh, goodness and me. And on that note, just to take things to a slightly different place, when mm-hmm. I was in an absolute sort of panic early this morning because I thought I don't think I can take that story to, to the table, I thought oh, what are the – I looked up funny crimes or something and – I'll tell you what, there's not many funny crimes. Uh, I've been doing the same thing. I thought I'd do a a light touch and I was like, can't find anything. A couple discovered a burglar in their house after the burglar laughed at the husband's joke. I didn't know I could go too deep on that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a good one. A man reports thieves stole his cannabis plant and gets himself arrested. This is my (laughs) favourite. A man's flatulence gets him charged with battery. West Virginia man charges battery for farting on a cop. <laughs> yeah, so I did. I did try and steer us away from this, but no, there's not that much I, on the really, really funny stuff. A man the eats his own underwear, hoping to beat a breathalyzer test. The funniest bit about that article was the fact that the day that he was in court, there were a class of law students were in there having to listen to it. And they were, they had to be asked to leave because they couldn't compose themselves. You couldn't stop giggling. <laughs> yeah. I panicked because I thought it's so dark and I, you know, no one. No, but no one but I'm glad you did it. it because I was going to do the toy box killer. So oh. now I, that, that burden I'm just glad to get it off my phone because it's been there for months and I look at it and I go, oh, God, I don't think I can look at it today. Pretty yeah, hardcore. no, you've you've lifted the burden from me, and and I did I did like the way you brought in the I had never heard of the toolbox killers. No, but I you're right that whole connection of yes. recording it ourselves. There's so many you know parallels. It's just bringing people terrifying. into it, and oh, just because when I put them oh, side the dregs by of side, humanity. exactly mm. when you put them side by side, and you know their end, their end game. Sorry, I'm laughing so, because I don't know if you noticed earlier, but Clarky put a beanie on because yes, I saw that. It's not well done, but he's put it. I know, but he's put it over his headset, so he looks like this sort of gum nut baby. Yeah, <laughs> got big ears. 
But Clarky looks rather comedic anyway. He just looks, and, um, he looks a bit miserable and poor. I know, poor baby. I know, a poor baby. So, you need to put um, him to bed. You need to put him to bed. Tuck him in. Oh, I wasn't laughing. Rub some How nice of you to please. laugh at me, Schmitty. Yeah, That's really sweet. Yeah. Rub some Vicks on his chest. When you had your knees up and you've got blue <laughs> trackies on as well, yeah. you really looked like a little butt gum nut baby. But she was at that point in time, I think we were in the middle of raping and murdering that poor woman. So I was like, I can't laugh at this. this Cannot. Is, yeah, fo- no. focus, focus. Oof. All right, so set to sentencing. Oh. Do you know what I was thinking of in terms of sentencing? Go on. Right, so as I was sort of saying, when I look at the two side by side, the end game is the same for both of them. All they want to do is inflict the most pain, Horrendous torture pain for, on, women. on women, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. there seems to be the same starting point, which are children of parents who don't take care of them, let alone love them or nurture them or whatever else. So to try and steer clear of anything else more macabre, I'm going to say that I would like to sentence the parents and the people who are in charge of young, influential minds. I don't think you need to do a whole lot. I just think you need to sort of show kids that you care enough and be there for them. Yeah, there's not much more than that I think that's required to anything else is a bonus. But when you really are abusing people and showing them that they're, you know, worth nothing to you and you're the person who's supposed to be looking after them and it's supposed to be unconditional, it does seem to put people on a path of destruction and, you know, hurt people, hurt other people. As you said, not all people, but no. I, I tend to agree in as much as you made them. You have a responsibility, mm. yeah. you know, and I, mm. I think not just for I, Christmas. I understand there's mental health yeah, and yeah. I understand there's financial issues and, you know, we, we didn't intend to do this, we didn't want to have kids or we weren't going to have, we got married and we don't really like each other. Because, and so I get that there's all that. Yeah. But you produced a child. And Clarkie said it before and he has said before there are people who just because you can't have kept children doesn't mean you should. And Correct. We've talked about how you have to have a licence to have a dog and yet there doesn't seem to be any no. sort of controls around parenting, yeah, although there are much more now. I mean, Correct. Like that, yeah. And go back to your point, Carla, about the world having changed yeah. dramatically and the, the world had to change because of these sorts of scenarios. There's still plenty of this that goes on. When, you know, yeah, but, uh, but, but I think we less. have a yeah. much better understanding of psychology and the implications yeah. of this sort of behaviour. And the red flags that, that you'd see now, yeah. But, but also just what, what triggers a person to behave in certain fashions. Yeah. So you, you, yeah, I agree that the parents are at fault, but I, but I think as a oh, person I'm not saying they're at fault. Parent, I'm just saying they've done a terrible job, yeah. At the same time, and the other side of it is there are how many other people statistically who had similarly poor upbringings and backgrounds who didn't go on to rape and murder, who didn't build for 100000 bucks. I mean, that man, he was a saver. He he knew how to put his cash away. You, you used to laugh at me and my... Uh, Schmidt, yeah, we'll can you say safe like that? But you know, honestly, I couldn't have put a hundred grand away. I don't to, know if I'd say David Copperfield. Can you show me how you say it like that? <laughs> it's too many syllables for a start. But he was dedicated to what he was doing, and so I think there's more to it than just a bad upbringing. I think there's a predilection somewhere psychologically to violence violence against other people, which has to be owned by the person who committed the crime. Agreed. I agree. Hmm. That was just my softly, softly way of going. I don't want to talk. Don't about worry, Clarkie and I will be more really nasty. I was just trying to go. Oh my Sledge god! Sledgehammers, yeah, oh. toolboxes, and 
Schmidt is going oh. to her own toolbox. I mean, if you're going to strangle someone, a coat hanger? Oh, even no, like, right. even that, it was like, like come on. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, sometimes there are little, you know, as Swanee often says, you know, that's what we took from it. Uh, I'm like, oh, my God, how horrendous because yeah. that wouldn't have yeah. been a quick thing. That would have taken <laughs> a fair yeah. amount of time to happen. And then the the agony that that poor woman would have been in as well, you know. So, oh, anyway, shocking. So, boys, do you have a sentence before I launch into something? Because I'm still formulating. So. Yeah, okay. I struggle with it because, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying about the parents, Carla, but I think the, you know, the horror of what they did yeah. 100% sits with them. Nobody should be able to explain away their horrid behaviour by anyone else no one puts them in a situation where that's their only option i think the fact that they're getting joy from it is just oh yeah it made me feel sick listening to you are 100 percent correct and i 100 percent agree i think i was just trying to avoid yeah. having to to sentence these guys because i just can't yeah. deal with them at all but yeah you are totally right a, a terrible upbringing does not make you a sadistic torturer no, I yeah. agree. And so I've kind of undernarred about, you know, do we torture them the way they torture people, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I don't want to spend any time with them. What I, I guess where I landed is I think that we should just chop off their arms and legs when they're about 15 and leave them. And then they can't hurt anyone. They can't do anything. They will have a shit life. I don't care. It'll stop them doing yeah. the horror that they did. Minority yeah. report stuff. Yeah. Yeah, just gross. It's, it's like gross. unmaking them, which is I unmade someone the other day. Yeah, see, all right, I'm going to go the macabre side of it because they all died in prison. None of them actually the easy saw way. out their sentence. Yeah. Well, yep. I mean, it's easy. No, but it was, though, because that's what but, someone, I think it, it was, sorry, Kelly Garrett, I think, was the one that, she was the one who, with the tattoo, Mm. that they found, she didn't want um, him to get the death sentence because that would be too easy. She yeah, wanted to yeah. him to live a long life in prison. Sadly, that didn't happen. I yeah. don't think three years is a long life in prison. So that I think they all feel a bit cheated. I think he died of a heart attack, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, he did. He died of a heart attack. Yeah. And, I, and I think um, her husband needs to wake up to himself mm. and I hope he has some remorse for not listening or not paying attention to what would have been just physical cues that something yes. horrendous had happened <laughs> you know just to turn around and say oh look what a what great excuse my wife showed up you oh, know you she's been out. oh yeah. you big yeah exactly I mean we've talked about misogyny of the actual uh, perpetrators but oh disgust me but I'm not gonna you know do anything terrible to him I'm sure he has subsequently learned the error of his ways but you know I talked earlier about my tool pro collection and as my toolbox on this one is I have a grinder, I have a drill, I have, what have I got? I've got a... You name it, she's got it. No, I haven't because tool pros are a bit limited, unfortunately, oh. although I can borrow the Makita range from Tony, not Makita, uh, Ryobi. So I've got a chainsaw then. If I, if I delve into Tony's toolbox, he's not here to tell me not to do this. I've got a little chainsaw, I've got... Multi-tools. I think multi-tools would be quite uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm thinking I'm going to get a drill and I'm going to drill into certainly the toolbox drill uh, killers, both of their elbows, and oh, then yes. I'm going to – and by the way, they're not allowed to die at 71 or whatever they died at. They're going to live through this. And then I might 
get a coat hanger and um, I might start to suffocate them or strangle them. And then just when their eyes are bulging and their tongue is thickening, as is what happens when you are strangled, I'm going to then release that so they can recover and do it all again and I'm going to inflict the pain and I'm not going to do it because I'm getting any satisfaction out of it. I'm going to do it because they need to feel Feel what they did to other people. Yeah, yeah. It is, oh, I'm not. I'm not deriving any satisfaction from it apart from that they need to live what they put other people through. And you know, you didn't talk about their other victims, but as you say, probably very similar scenario. They had so much time to back away from this. Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. Like, I was just joking around when we were in in prison. You know, I don't want to mm. do that. You know, I'm gonna. No, it's just japes. Yeah, it was yeah. just japes and shits and giggles. <laughs> but no. So yeah, I'm going to unfortunately be the one who brings the torture to the three of them and there's a bit for me I'm actually about, quite comfortable with that today actually surprisingly mm. or not surprisingly I've really got issues with Cindy Hendy yeah and Jessa Ray yeah women who torture other women who know and help acquire other women for men to uh, do that sort of stuff that's mm. the pits isn't it yeah it doesn't matter what you actually did like you know whether you uh, I know, engaged they knew what was in coming. it. They know. I, I, but I. You're but from my reading, I think they did it. And but I think they engaged in it. Oh, so, not so yeah. much Jessie Ray, but I believe that Cindy Henny did too. So I think she's going to have a little bit of drilling, some you know multi-tool action. Yeah, I know that's graphic and horrible, but we skipped over the details of what happened to these women. Mm. There are sixty people at least, that we haven't really identified or we suspect whose families never had any consolation or closure on this. Yeah, it's it, it, it's just not enough. It wasn't enough. So One of the things sentence. that I just, I can't, I haven't finished reading the paragraph, I started to read it, was after talking you through the, the audio recording that the toolbox killers, that murder when they were torturing her, the mother had to listen to it to identify oh, her voice. Can, and I, I, I didn't even get to the first sentence. I thought I can't read oh, another. I just can't right. even. My brain won't allow that thought to. Was this your daughter? It. Is this your yeah. daughter's oh. voice? Is That's this your daughter? Oh, God. Yeah. So oh, on Jesus that note. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, God. All right. Well, you've made me yeah. feel a bit better about being really going the hack on it. No, no. I think I think it needs it. All right, well. On that note, sweet well dreams, yeah, little thank sick you. babies. Why don't you go and have some, you know, something that will dry up and make you have crazy dreams. I'm not sure that you'll have a good sleep after that. I'll have oh, some nice. Nice. Pseudoephedrine. That's the word I was asking. Oh, that'll you keep know. us awake. Yeah, Ask yeah. the pharmacist, president <laughs> and pharmacist, amongst other things. Well, it'll be me. Thank you very much. And as we say every week, miss you already. Ciao, ladies. Bye, guys. Ciao. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine. Or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.